Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. So open, open your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 3. Let me just share a few, few things here first before we jump in. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. We're going to read a good portion of Scripture in this to really grasp this story. If you don't, it's okay. We'll pull it up on the screen here. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 3. Um, I, again, I'm not going to go through everything we shared last week, but we are doing a series entitled The Table. And the emphasis has really been rediscovering the beauty, the wonder of this holy communion. And one of the things that we highlighted last week that I think is necessary to just reiterate today is I'm quite confident that each and every one of you, regardless of your experience in church, in Jesus, whatever it may be, I know that you have some measure of of familiarity with this table, with communion. Like We just know that it's a part of the church. And we know a lot of scriptures where Jesus encourages us to do this regularly, so does Paul. We shared last week that the early church was marked by four top priorities. One of them was breaking bread. In fact, Acts 20 says they literally met the first day of the week to break bread. This is why they gathered. And so we know these scriptures that say this is of so much importance, but what we highlighted last week is any time you begin to do something regularly, and rightfully so because we're commanded, it's so powerful, but any time you do something on a consistent basis, we all have the tendency where it becomes very stale, dead, religious. And for a lot of us, this is how we see this. Remember we shared last week that we don't go to the extreme of saying that this is the actual body and blood of Jesus, that it turns into that. However, we've gone to another unhealthy extreme, which is what we see this just as ritual, just as ceremonial. But we see that actually in the scriptures and church history, testimonies of how Jesus Christ is actually present at this table, and he is forever offering himself. That is why we have to approach this table rightly in faith, knowing the power that is here. And so my heart, I'm sharing that because my heart for this teaching series is that the Spirit of God would breathe on Holy Communion, on us taking it, and we would never be the same. How many of you bought a communion set last week? No one? Oh, we got one. We got one. All right. Uh, well, we still got a few more weeks, so I hope you go out and buy it. Seriously, I hope that this becomes a staple of what you do. It's, it's a weapon the Lord has given us, and it's a reminder to bring us into fellowship with him. Here's the thing. I, I shared last week, I promise you, I'm taking my time because of how important this is. We will get into the power of the blood. I mean, we're talking about each week, but we'll unpack just the blood that deals with the power of sin. We'll unpack the, the bread, which deals with his body, which deals with the effects of sin. We'll unpack covenant. We'll get into all of that. But what's stirred on my heart right now is still just catching the heart and the why behind this, like the table. The table is so powerful. Remember we said that these elements, and we miss this because we just get a little piece of cracker and a little cup, but this is the, this is the last supper. This was a meal that Jesus, remember, with desire, I have desired to share this Passover meal with you. This was an invitation from the king to sit and dine with him. And I want us to catch the heart that we are being invited to a table, which means we are being invited into fellowship with God, communion with God, holy communion, communion. We are being invited to partake in the sweetest of intimacy with the Lord. 
And so within this Holy Communion is a divine sweet communion that I want to reiterate today, but I promise in a fresh way. And in fact, next week, we're going to do it one more week, but we're going to see it another fresh way. And here's what I want to share with you today is the transformative power of this table. I want you to see that, grasp, just kind of grasping this, that imagine any, I mean, royal official, imagine a king, an earthly king of another nation, imagine presidents, imagine you were invited to have a meal with them. This would be so incredible. Do you know that the king of the universe has prepared a banquet for you and he's inviting you to come and sit with him? How can we treat this lightly? I'm not saying we have to be stiff, rigid. In fact, we shared that last week, that it, that's not the case. It was the most intimate scene as, as the disciples reclined and John reclined on Jesus as they took this. This is a moment where Jesus is saying, come, fellowship with me, rest and lean into me. Jesus' ministry was actually, one of his primary parts of his ministry was the table ministry. In fact, he was deeply persecuted over those that he would invite to his table. And it's so, it's so beautiful, though, that he would invite these men, and the religious didn't understand it. They said he's overlooking their sin. But what they didn't realize was actually at the table, when you're communing with your king, this is where you're being deeply changed. They didn't understand the power of grace and the power of his presence to be with him. And these men would come in one way, Matthew the tax collector and Zacchaeus, and they would leave another way. And so what I want to highlight today, and I promise you it's going to be, it's going to be good today. Are you ready to learn? We are going to look at the transformative power of this table and that God wants to have a meal with you. And when you engage in this meal, your life completely changes. It's not just for an unbeliever, but it's for believers to do regularly. All right? So 2 Samuel chapter Chapter 9 is where we're looking at verse 3. You know what? I, I want to share one more thing on this background um, so that we understand this, and I'll read this scripture. I could have went anywhere to show the, the, how the table and this intimacy changes lives, but we're actually going into the Old Testament. This story is so crazy and beautiful of how an invitation to the king's table changes this individual's life. That's what we're going to be looking at. Here's the quick context. It's just a few chapters before. Basically what you have is you have Saul, who was the first king over Israel, okay? After the period of Judges, the, the kingdom of Israel is united, and Saul comes as the first king. Saul was disobedient, and so what happens is, is God anoints David, right? Everyone know David? David slays Goliath. David, that, that David. He's, he, yeah, that David. <laughs> just him. He is anointed as the future king over Israel, Here's the issue is that Saul is the current king and Saul has a son by the name of Jonathan, okay? So in order for David to be king, Saul and Jonathan wouldn't be able to be there anymore. Actually, what happens is that Saul and Jonathan, they go into battle and they both die. This happens just a few chapters before this. This is to fulfill what was spoken over David to be the next king. When Saul and Jonathan die, the news goes to this house where Jonathan, follow, this is very important, Jonathan had a son, and when the news came, the nurse who was with his son frantically got up to carry the baby and actually dropped him. And he, is, and he was lame in both feet from five years old. His name was Mephibosheth. I know. I've got to say that name a few times today. <laughs> I see a lot of pregnant women. Do me a favor. Do not name your children that for baby dedication. Mephibosheth was lame from five years old. Okay? Everyone got the background? 
Fast forward to 2 Samuel chapter 9. David is now the king of Israel. He's taken his place. And this is where this story takes place. And I want you to, I want you to hear this. It's so, so beautiful. David has a servant by the name of Ziba, and he brings him to him. And this is what he says. The king asks, meaning David, is there still no, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. That's Mephibosheth. He is lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel in Lodebar. Verse 5, so King David had him brought from Lodebar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, it's highlighting his lineage, the son of Saul came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said this, the king said this to Mephibosheth. He said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. This is dripping with life when we come back into this. I will restore to you all that the land, all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always what? Eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. Everything is being restored to Mephibosheth right now. Verse 10 says, You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. This is crazy what's happening to Mephibosheth's life right now. And then it says, And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always what? Eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, all who would be dedicated now to serving Mephibosheth. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the Lord king commands his servant to do. Listen to this. So Mephibosheth, what? Ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And last verse 13 and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always what? Ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Man, there's so much life in this text. Mephibosheth's life has radically changed in an incredible way. Two primary ways that we're going to look at. His location changes and his position and his identity changes. And what this text is showing us is that what serves at the catalyst of this change, what is like the driving force of producing this radical change in the life of Mephibosheth is that he has been invited to dine with the king at his table. You cannot miss this. You need to process what is happening because the Lord is inviting you and giving you a similar invitation. It's not a one-time invitation. It is a daily invitation. And when you do, something deeply changes within you that's being expressed through this scripture. I'm going to unpack those two ways in a moment, but I want you to see, I just still need to teach for, for a few more minutes so you understand David and how he represents the Lord. I want you to picture this. David has now come to reign supremely over the monarchy of Israel. 
which means David has all authority and power to do whatever he wants. David could literally snap his fingers and every servant would have to stand before him and they would give him whatever his heart desires. David could spend all of his attention and, and resources on wiping out enemies. He could spend it on building his own palaces and structures. He could spend all of his time on invading into neighboring countries. But we see with this king that there is a different spirit on him. For even though he has the right and the ability to do any of those things, this king is possessed by one question that's bursting in his heart. Who in my kingdom can I show kindness to? My friends, do you know that David is one of the most beautiful pictures of the heart of Jesus? He's a revelation of the king of kings. For Jesus has all authority. He's not just a teacher. He reigns far above everything. He could snap his fingers and angels could do bidding for him and wipe out nations. Hebrews 1 says that the universe is held by his word. Which means if he withholds his breath, everything would crumble in a second. This is King Jesus. Authority, power. What would he do? There's one thing that bursts in his heart. Who in my kingdom can I show kindness towards? I don't know what's been presented to you about King Jesus. I don't know what you've heard, but it is his kindness that, that he expresses towards you. This kindness, the word kesed in the Hebrew, it's so powerful. It actually it's, it's, speaks to love. Most theologians say the best word is a, is a loyal love. He is unceasingly for you. Your God is for you. I don't know what's been presented, no matter what you've done, he's for you. He has loyal love towards you. Do you know the scriptures say in Romans 2.4 that it is the kindness of God that leads men to repentance? Repentance, I, I, I love the scriptures. They testify to miracles that are amazing. But the greatest miracle is when a man's complete life is changed and he begins to say, I am lost without you, and he wants Jesus. Do you know what causes the greatest change in a man's heart? When he encounters the kindness of God. Like some of you may have been running because it's been mispresented to you. He is a king who wants to offer kindness to you. And when you encounter this, it wrecks you in the best way. Not just a one-time thing, but over and over and over, when I encounter his goodness, I say, my goodness, God, why wouldn't I give you everything? This is the king that we serve. But there's something so beautiful about Mephibosheth, because he is the most unlikely recipient to receive this kindness. And you have to hear this, because no one in this room is disqualified. This is the heart of King Jesus. How is Jesus expressing this kindness to Mephibosheth? A table. A table. You have to see this table as God's kindness being expressed to you. Mephibosheth was the least likely to receive this. Why? If you're taking notes, write these things. Lineage and disability. His lineage, listen, this is so important. His lineage, he is the, grand, he's the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul. Not only did Saul persecute David, which would be rightfully so to just want to kill him. Take that out of the picture. This is not just a biblical thing. This is medieval times. This is how it worked with kings. When a new king came into power, one of his first orders of business was to annihilate and exterminate every family member of the existing king so they no longer posed a threat to his throne. 
and he could establish his king now without worrying about that. Which means that from a cultural standard, Mephibosheth was an enemy of God. Oh, you got to hear this when we see Jesus. Mephibosheth had every right, according to the culture, to come under the sword of David. Instead, he receives an invitation to a table. My friends, do you know what the scriptures say? Our lineage works against us, for we are born in Adam, born in sin, born cut off, alienated from God. The Bible says we were hostile to God, enemies of God. And he had every right to bring a sword on us. Instead, he says, I bring a sword on my son. The Lord of the sword took the sword of the Lord so that you could come to a table. The wrath of God consumed the son with wrath so that you can consume the son in delight now. The table has been opened and he says, come, come. This is mercy. This is kindness. This is why we don't treat this lightly when we come to this table because we know it means that his life was laid down for us. And so we come with reverence. We come with joy. We come with gratitude. We come skipping. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. We come resting in him because he rescued us. He redeemed us. He saved us. The other thing with Mephibosheth was his disability. You see, it's a little bit different in our culture. Maybe you may have experienced it on some level, but in our culture, um, we, have, we, we, we do things to accommodate, and rightfully so. But in, in biblical culture, it's very different if you were crippled. They didn't have any of that. There was no, there was no accommodations. Here's, what, here's how they classified you. You were unable to contribute to society, and therefore you were a waste of life, and you must be cast away, put off, put to the side. There's nothing that you can offer Mephibosheth, this is what Mephibosheth was. He was crippled in both of his legs. My friends, as Mephibosheth fell, you have to see, this is all a type for us. As Mephibosheth fell and his legs were broken, so too we are all fallen and broken. And God has every right to bypass us or to just get rid of us. And even though we're so damaged beyond in the natural, beyond repair of what humans can do, God comes to us in kindness and invites us to his table. When we come to his table, it's where he changes us. Jesus quoted a prophetic word about him in Isaiah 42.3 and Matthew 12.20. He said, a bruised reed I will not break. A smoldering wick I will not snuff out until I see justice through to victory. What's a bruised reed? It looks like bamboo. It was used for thatching roofs. If when it's bruised, you know, when it gets weak and discolored, it can't function as it's supposed to. You break it and you burn it in the fire. That's the only thing it's good for. A smoldering wick is when a candle begins to go black, right? It's done. We throw the candle away. But Jesus says a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In other, in other words, those things that the world has said is beyond repair, Beyond being used, God says, I can do something with their life. And how does he begin to restore? By saying, come to the table. This is good, good news. So come the lost, come the addicted, come the broken, come the abused, come. There's no need to hold back. He's provided everything here for you. This is representing the heart of your father, the kindness of God to come to this table. Come on, is that not good news? And now we can get started. No. I promise. I won't be. I want you to, I want you to look at uh, verse 4 in our, in our main text. 
table is open. <laughs> the kindness of God. His heart is bursting with this question. Oh, I pray right now that you experience the kindness of God and it leads you to giving your whole life to him right now. Not just behavior, but your whole heart. I didn't know his kindness, so I gave him behavior for a while. I didn't give him my heart. I couldn't trust him. Now I give him my heart. He's the only one I can really give my heart to. Jesus. Jesus. And so there's two ways. There's two ways that Mephibosheth is deeply changed. Location and his identity or his position. And I really, I'm going to spend more time on location. I really felt the Lord on this for us today, on location. And this is what it says in verse 4. Uh, it, it says that when David asks where Mephibosheth lives, he says, his, the, the servant Ziba says he lives in Lodebar. Lodebar. But, verse 13, let's read verse 13 together again. And Mephibosheth lived in where? Jerusalem now. Why? Because he always ate at the king's table. A location has shifted in his life because he's been received, he's been given an invitation, and listen, he responds. He responds to the invitation. You want to see change? You have to respond. You have to respond. Here's where it's so beautiful. Lodebar. I looked it up. This is what Lodebar means. A pastureless place. It means it's a dry barren, desolate, isolated, lonely place. Lodebar is the place where you continually sow but never reap. But when he comes to the king's table and when he sits here, it says he now lives in Jerusalem, which means city of peace, shalom, wholeness, completeness. When you come to this table and you allow it to lead you into divine communion with God, you say, I am complete at the table of the Lord. But here's what was on my heart, my friends. The God who can transport us physically can transport us spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically in a sense of physical ailments. And this is what I felt on my heart for unbelievers certainly, but if you're in the Lord, that the Lord has prepared a table for you and keeps it before you, that any time at any day, you can come before here when you feel like spiritually, emotionally, mentally, you are stuck in low day bar. When you are stuck in a place of feeling dry and barren and fruitless and hopeless and joyless, shame seems to have the best of you right now. You are in bondage to insecurity. You are in bondage to the fear of man. The Lord is wooing you to come away to a table. And when you do and you begin to enter into this communion with God, guess what happens? You begin to enter into the ecstatic joy of being in the presence of the Lord. And when you commune with God, wholeness comes, joy comes, freedom comes, and all of that stuff that you once felt begins to wipe away. This is the power of this table because Jesus is in it. It's not just the elements itself. It's Jesus being evident here. At any moment, when you're going through those seasons and you've gotten so discouraged because you know why? We get so distracted and we, forgot, we forget to commune with the Lord. We can come away, commune with him, and there's life there. There's life there. What, this, what I'm representing with this table is that's communion with God. You get before the Lord. You take this, and then you allow it to lead you into actual just being with him, worshiping, reading the word, however the Lord leads you. Can you put up, can you put up this scripture, uh, Songs of Solomon? Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Just look at, look at the screen. Songs of Solomon. We're going to do a teaching series, I think, at some point on this. 
This is uh, Songs of Solomon is one of the most um, misunderstood, stayed away from books, like guilty, because it's actually so challenging what it's inviting us into, the love relationship that God wants with us, especially as a man. Sometimes it's hard to relate as a, as a bride. Uh, but anyways, that's a whole other thing. But I, I'm learning <laughs> what it means. Crystal said, you're going to have a gown on when you come and you see Jesus. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't think that's the picture. He'll, he'll cuddle me like. <laughs> so Songs of Solomon is this beautiful picture of communion and intimacy between an actual bridegroom and bride, so a husband and a wife. But it's representative of actually Jesus and the church. Everything points to Jesus. Some people say, no, no, no. If, if there's a book in the Bible that's not pointing us to Jesus, it's not a book of the Bible. <laughs> Every scripture points to Jesus. This is pointing to Jesus. So I want you to hear this. I want you to just hear what she says. This is the bride, the church, me and you. This is what she says about Jesus. She says, let him, meaning Christ, lead me to the dinner hall, banquet hall, table, communion table, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples. Do you know the context of this in verse 2? Do you know where the bride was? She said her location. Remember, we're talking about location. She said, my location is I am like a lily among thorns. Thorns speak to Genesis and the fall and the curse of man. In other words, she says, I am surrounded by death, disappointment, destruction, and I feel like there's no way to get out of this. I am overwhelmed by life's circumstances right now. And guess what Jesus does? She can't get out of the thorns, but the wooing of the king begins to say, let him lead me to the banquet hall. When you feel like you're stuck in those places, the Lord is forever unceasingly calling you, saying, come to my table and eat with me. And when she responds, verse 5, she says, strengthen me and revive me. She is strengthened and revived at the table. She goes from a place of thorns to a place of life. My friends, this is not just a physical place. Wherever you are, the Lord can transport you spiritually, emotionally, mentally by resting and leaning into him. And it's being represented and expressed at this table. You know, many times I've so felt this on my heart, the next two things I'm going to share for us right now. Many times I feel like, I remember I'm talking about location and feeling like you're bound, that we can find ourselves in these prisons. These aren't physical prisons, although Jesus can break those open, Paul and Silas. <laughs> Silas. <laughs> but these are prisons that we actually find ourselves in that are invisible, but we just find ourselves bound and unable to move. And I want to share it. Can you put on Job 36, 16? Man, this is, this is so good. This is what the Lord was telling Job when he found himself in the place of, of restriction and confinement. I really lean into this. I really felt the Lord was giving it for our body. Verse 16 of Job 36. Job is speaking of God. He says, he is wooing. God is wooing. That's a, that's a term that's used in marriage. <laughs> He's wooing you. God is wooing. From where? From the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction. How many of you have ever felt like God has spoken something into your life that when he spoke it into you, you felt an incredible burning desire and longing to fulfill what he had said? 
And if he hasn't yet, he wants to. Just, we're not listening, so pay attention. He wants to. He has dreams and beautiful things for you. And as we have that burning desire, you know what often follows right after? The buts and the ifs. If I only had more money, if I only had more resources, if I only had better education, if I was only more like him or her, all of these things take place so that burning desire is the destiny that God's speaking in your heart, and all of the buts and ifs become these restrictions and imprisonments that don't allow us to walk in all that God has for us. The enemy loves to trap you in these places of fear, shame, insecurity, whatever it may be, so that you would not step into the fullness that God has for you. In fact, it says he is wooing you from the jaws of distress. Do you know what this means? In the Hebrew, distress, it actually means confinement or restriction. Jaws speak to mouth. This means there are words that are confining you and restricting you. Whether it is the own words you speak over your life, the words that others speak over you, you're a failure, you'll never amount to anything, you can't do this, or I don't have what it takes, God, this is too much for me, which it is, that's why he's calling you into it or just voices from the enemy, the accuser of the brethren. There are voices that come to restrict you and imprison you from moving in what God has for you. But the Lord is wooing you to a place where those restrictions and imprisonments will be broken. And do you know where that place is? Let's finish the scripture. <laughs> to the comfort of your table, laden, overwhelmed with choice food. It is when you come before the table of the Lord because you see yourself rightly. You see you belong at this table. You see what he has provided for you. That in this place, all of the fear, all of the shame, all the insecurity, say, Lord, I'm here to dine with you. All of it begins to break. You know why? Because this blood speaks a better word over you. This body is speaking. All right. I want everyone, if you've been dozing off, I forgive you. <laughs> But I want you to lean into this for a moment. What I'm about to share with you is so, so important of how this table can break this. I've never seen this before. It's absolutely beautiful. My mouth is really dry today. <laughs> just throwing it out there if we're just going to be real in family. I want you to hear this. This is so, so beautiful. It's going to set you free, I believe, when you see this. And this is what we're praying for today. I shared with you. Raise your hand if you're listening. Okay, everyone's listening. I shared with you that Old Testament figures are types for Jesus, right? All the time. Everything's pointing to Jesus. For example, Job. Job is a beautiful example. As he went in the belly of the whale, so Jesus went in the belly of the ground. I emphasize that because when characters point us to Jesus, not only do their lives, but the things associated with them also have meaning. So Jonah didn't just point to Jesus, but the, ground, uh, the whale actually pointed to the death of Jesus the ground that he was in. You follow me? Joseph in the Old Testament is one of the greatest examples of Jesus. Not, not his father, that's New Testament, father of Jesus, but this is Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers. For example, Joseph was betrayed by his own people. Joseph was betrayed for silver. Joseph came into a place of influence at the age of 30. Joseph sat at the right hand of Pharaoh. Uh, Joseph is a type of savior in that he, when there was a famine, he provided food. Jesus is a spiritual savior. Over and over, everything points to Jesus. Everyone with me? Yeah. I want you to get this so that you know I'm not just making this up. Joseph is a picture of Jesus. So get this. Joseph is sold into slavery, and he gets 
bought by an Egyptian officer by the name of Potiphar. And when he's with Potiphar, he has favor upon his life. And he does so well, and Potiphar's blessed, but in the result, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph and actually tries to come on to him. He refuses, and she eventually actually tries to set him up that, that he tried to rape her. And he gets thrown into prison. Remember, we're talking about prison. You with me? Talking about God transporting us out. He's thrown into prison, Joseph representing Jesus. Y'all ain't ready. <laughs> who, who is with Joseph in the prison? The chief cupbearer and the chief baker. What does a cupbearer do? Taste the wine. What does a baker do? Bakes bread. In the jail cell with Joseph, who represents Jesus, is the bread and the wine. Oh, it gets even better. They have a dream, which the whole dream speaks to Jesus. Joseph interprets the dream. The baker and the, and the cupbearer are released to Pharaoh, and they testify to what Joseph has said, and the testimony of the bread and the wine released Joseph from prison. In fact, Joseph comes to the right hand of Pharaoh. Jesus gets released from the prison of death and is seated at the right hand of the Father. My friends, the bread, the body, and the blood still testify to this day. His wounds still speak. His sacrifice still speaks. His blood still speaks. It speaks a better word no matter what you are walking through. It speaks over you. And so when you approach this table with feeling like you're stuck in these places, you come before and say, Lord, I need to hear you speak over me. And Joseph was trans transported from prison into a palace. Joseph was, from this testimony, was transported from a place of hopelessness into the fulfillment of his destiny. Man. He was transported from a place of captivity into power. There is something powerful that happens when we come in faith and let this body and this cup speak over us. Do you know that's why Paul says, for as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. He's not saying we're proclaiming something somber. We're saying, though, even though this happened 2,000 years ago, his death is still applicable to my life today. And I believe in my heart that God wants to break prisons that you find yourself in by coming to this table rightly and saying, Lord, here I am. Revelation 12, 11 says that we overcome the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Our testimony is rooted in the blood of the lamb. He wants to set you free. Man, if you find yourself in that, there is power at this table. Now let me just share this last part real quick and then we're gonna to come to this table. I want you to look at verse 11. Are you guys following me? There is a testimony that is being spoken through this and is alive today. His location changed, and I'll just spend a few minutes here. I'll share this quickly with you. And his position changed. In verse 11, uh, Samuel, we'll put it on the screen. I'll, I'll share with you. It says this. It says that Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. You see, he did not sit at the table as an inferior. 
He didn't sit at the table as a freak show for everyone to look at and say, what in the world is he doing here? He sat as a son. This table for Mephibosheth was a place where when he came to it, he knew that he belonged now to the king. When you come to this table, you come rightly knowing that you are a son and a daughter now. Can you, can you imagine the pomp, the splendor, and the ceremony that goes on with a king's uh, banquet? Can you imagine the officials? Can you imagine the security? Can you imagine the music and the decorations? And can you imagine as everyone's sitting, the doors are busted wide open, and in comes Mephibosheth, not walking. Literally, he would have to be carried to the table. And you can imagine the royal officials saying, who is this? Has he hijacked this king's party? Then they find out, no, actually, he's the honored, he's the, not just the honored guest, he's the honored son now. And what's amazing, as they watch him come in, he actually gets carried right past them. Why? Because the seat of the son is right next to the father. And so he gets carried right up, and they place him right in the seat of honor, and now as a son, he has honor and authority and dignity and respect. This is what the king's table represents. Like, this is beautiful what the Lord has done. Our hearts need to say, Lord, thank you for your kindness that you've invited me to sit, not as an inferior, but as your son and your daughter. Do you know what Mephibosheth's name means? A shameful thing. His whole life, imagine being called shameful thing. Some of you can, shameful thing, shameful thing. Some of us speak it over ourselves, shameful thing, shameful thing. Your grandfather was ashamed. Your disability makes you ashamed. But then he comes to the table, and now he's a son and a daughter. Listen to me. When he sits at the table, you know what's so beautiful? He sits down. Guess what you can't see anymore? His legs. The table covers that source of pain. The table covers that source of limitation. Covers that source of shame. You know what 1 Peter 4, 8 says? Love covers a multitude of sins. You come before the table and his love that's being expressed by the one who was slayed for you covers everything, everything in your life. Can you put out Song of Solomon one more time? Look at, look at verse four. The bride says, are you following me? The bride says, let him lead me to the banquet hall, the dinner hall, and let his banner over me be love. Banners in the Bible are so significant. They were used for a number of reasons. One is Numbers 1 and 2 shows us that the tribes held up banners to identify who they were. When she comes out of a place of thorns and comes for the table, she says, the banner that's over me is he loves me. Every other label is washed off of you. Not even the bad labels, but every good label that is so inferior to that is insignificant. When I come to the table, I am no longer Andrew, a father. I'm not just Andrew, a husband. I'm not just Andrew, a church planner, pastor. I am like John. I am Andrew, the one whom Jesus loves. And I let this wash over me and cover me. And some of you, when you come here, I want you to know that no matter what you feel, this is what, how he speaks over you. In fact, here's the last thing I'll share with you. Here's the last thing. And you have to hear this. 
Why in the world would David do this? What was it about Mephibosheth that made him worthy to receive this type of kindness and mercy in his life? I wonder if the night that he came into the king's courts and ate with them and then lay down in his bed in Jerusalem, I wonder if he laid up at night and just said, how in the world did I get here? <laughs> and what did I do to deserve this? And you want to know why David expressed this and why King Jesus expresses this kindness to you? Verse 7 of, of our 2 Samuel 9, look at what it says. Verse 7. He says, don't be afraid, David told him. You can be sure that I will be kind to you because of your father, Jonathan. In other words, Mephibosheth, this has nothing to do with you. It's not about your worthiness. So get over yourself, Andrew. Stop saying you can't come in because it's not about you. I did this because I'm a covenant-keeping king. And I'm faithful to my word. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in sin, raised to new life, and that for all of eternity we will be trophies of grace, that when they look at our lives, it will actually declare his mercy and grace over our life. That's why he does it, because it actually points to how good he is. So no matter what you're saying to disqualify yourself from coming to the table, know that it was actually out of his faithfulness, which is good news because it's not about the things that we can do. Come on, worship team, come on back up. Who's ready to take communion? Yeah. In just a moment, I'll call up the, the ushers communion team to come forward. Not yet. So last week... So I, I, I think I might have shared this in the beginning, but I feel that every Sunday right now, as we're speaking about communion and coming to the Lord's table, I want us to actually partake of it. And not, may not always be the same way, but I want us to partake together. And what we did last week is we actually had everyone come down to the table. And I really feel the Lord wants us to do that again. And kind of the picture of Mephibosheth, who he had to be carried, let the grace of God woo you. And here's what I'm praying for. I'm praying specifically for those that feel bound in places of restriction and prisons through words, they feel confined, they feel like they can't walk in what God has, they're not measuring up. I pray that when you come over here that the testimony of the blood and the body will crush that thing today. You can take this every day. You can take it multiple, I know people take it multiple times a day. You can do it each and every day. So what we're gonna do is if we could have the, um, the communion team come forward, please. Those are going to help pass it out. And if you were here last week, you kind of remember this. But what we're going to do is I'm going to ask, starting in the first row, we're going to have one of the ushers, Pat, we'll go row by row. We're going to come down the center aisle. This group will come here, circle out, and sit back in your seat and hold on to your elements. We're going to take it together. As each row comes up, Pat will go back one more row, and the next row will come up, okay? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to come forward. Yeah, we're going to come forward. Jesus... Lord, what can we say? I mean, we can speak about this, Jesus, but your kindness, Lord. You've called us to sit at your table 
as a son, as a daughter. And Lord, I just pray for those that feel in such bondage. They can't even see the prison, but they know it's there. There's so many voices internally, externally speaking over them. But I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that today as they come forth, I pray, Lord, break change as they walk forth. I pray, Lord, as, as Paul says, as we approach rightly, come in faith today, guys. Come in faith that Jesus is present. Like the road to Emmaus, when they broke the bread, they saw Jesus. He's here. King Jesus is in this place by his spirit. Lord, I pray that as we take this together, God, something would shift in people's lives. And I pray the only voice they would hear is your voice over them. Lord, I pray for those who have never known you, who have never come to the table before, who have never been born again. Lord, I pray your kindness would draw them and that by coming forward, they declare that you are Lord and Savior over their life. You would fill them today, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, we'll start in this first row. Then we'll come down, grab your elements, go down the side aisle, and we'll partake in just a moment. Say yes to 
As we're here, I finally found where I belong. In your presence, I finally found where I belong. Just to be with you, to be with you. I finally found where I belong. I finally found where I belong. In your presence, I finally found where I belong. Just to be with you. attention on him. for a moment I want to read something over you and then we'll partake together and close 
This is actually by a Christian band named Leland. They wrote a song about Mephibosheth entitled Carry to the Table. And it's the words are so beautiful. It's, it's a song, so it's, there's some repetition here, but just lean in and I just pray, Lord, that this would become something personal in every heart here, Lord, as we commune with you, King Jesus. Jesus, this isn't just a ritual ceremony that we're doing, but we believe by faith that you are with us, our beloved King. We believe right now that a banner is being lifted over every individual in this house right now that says that we are loved by you. We believe your love is covering over every source of pain and shame, every source of frustration and limitation. There's a greater word that's emerging right now by faith. I can feel it rising up. His blood is speaking over you. His body is speaking over you. And the song says this, it says, wounded and forsaken, I was shattered by the fall, broken and forgotten, feeling lost and all alone, summoned by the king into the master's courts, lifted by the savior and cradled in his arms. I was carried to the table, seated where I don't belong, carried to the table, swept away by his love. And I don't see my brokenness anymore. When I'm seated at the table of the Lord, I'm carried to the table, the table of the Lord. Fighting thoughts of fear and wondering why he called my name. Am I good enough to share this cup? This world has left me lame. Even in my weakness, the Savior called my name. In his holy presence, I'm healed and unashamed. You carried me, my God. You carried me. And so, Lord, we come as a body, as a house, your body, Jesus, and we come to consume you. <laughs> You've made yourself consumable. And we take this bread, and by faith, Lord, we take this and we consume and we apply your sacrifice, your body that was broken for us. And I just pray, Lord, by your spirit, wholeness, wholeness, touch every, every person here, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Touch them, Lord. In Jesus' name, let's take the bread. Jesus that you actually desired to have this meal with us more than we could ever desire to have it with you and this cup Lord is represents your blood that was poured out and we thank you Lord that by your blood we have forgiveness and I thank you Lord that your blood truly still speaks today and so I pray Lord that as we take this together Lord that your blood would wash and speak over every life here and whatever imprisonment they find themselves in I pray it breaks by the spirit in Jesus name let's take the cup thank you, thank you Lord thank you Lord you can pass your cups to the center ushers will come down the middle
will be here worshiping, but we bless you. We love you. Have an awesome, awesome Sunday. Feel free to worship if you'd like. There's growth track at 115. Let the banner of love be over you today. In Jesus' name, God bless you guys. Just put